morning's sermon. It's Matthew 5, the verses 14 to 16. Jesus is speaking. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Evangelism Committee has asked me to address the matter of evangelism over the next three Sundays. The goal is to kickstart a discussion about evangelism and to equip us to engage in this noble task. The word evangelism comes from a Greek word that means a good message. To evangelize is to spread the good news, what we often call the gospel, to those living in darkness. Describes our calling as Christians to put men, women, and children in touch with the living God who came in Jesus Christ to seek and save that which was lost. There is a legend which recounts the return of Jesus to glory after his time on earth. Now, this is only a story, it's likely not true, but it makes a profound point. In this legend, the angel Gabriel approached Jesus and spoke to him about his terrible suffering for people on earth. Gabriel asked, do they know all about how you love them and what you did for them? Jesus replied, no, not yet. But I've asked Peter and James and John and a few more friends to tell other people about me. Those who are told will tell others about me until the story is spread to the farthest reaches of the globe. Gabriel was skeptical, for he knew the weaknesses and the shortcomings of man. He asked, what if they grow weary? What if they forget? What if down into the 21st century, people just don't tell others about you? Haven't you made any other plans? Jesus answered, I've made no other plans. I'm counting on them. We, beloved, are God's plan for reaching the world with the good news of salvation. How are we doing at that? Evangelism is something to which we often give lip service. But an honest evaluation of our outreach to the surrounding communities would suggest that we're not particularly good at it. How many neighbors or friends or work or schoolmates or other acquaintances 
Have you shared the gospel with during the last couple years? Have you ever participated in leading someone who was lost to Christ? Now, I don't want to subject you to another guilt trip about evangelism. But if we're going to make any progress in fulfilling Christ's calling to share the good news, we need to be honest about some of the obstacles facing us. Our urban context puts us into contact with so many people. So many people that it's hard to relate effectively to any of them. Most of our contact with other people is polite, but distant. Perhaps a greeting on the street, a hello at the checkout counter, or some surface conversation at work. We don't bother others, and we don't really want them to bother us. And so we often maintain an attitude of isolation Coupled with this is the fact that many of us live a fast-paced life. There's so many demands on our time. There's work, school, caring for kids, serving in various roles in church and school communities. Our cell phones make us accessible 24-7, and so the demands on us often continue into the evening. Because of the busyness of life, we carve out some family time and some me time. Our busyness gets in the way of taking time for others around us, showing kindness, building relationships. We also face struggles in relating significantly to non-Christians. Part of that difficulty may be the result of a theological misunderstanding. We know of the Bible's teaching against friendship with the world and of its warnings not to live as the Gentiles do. But the result is that many of us have little or no contact with people outside of our own community. We know that Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners, even though the religious leaders condemned him for this. But often we don't engage significantly with non-Christians Perhaps we don't even know how. This morning we're going to begin our series on evangelism with a sermon in which Jesus calls us to this task. It's taken from his teaching in Matthew 5, from the Sermon on the Mount. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Let your lights shine before others so that they may glorify our Father in heaven. We'll see what it means to be the light of the world and how we are to function as the light of the world. Our text begins with Jesus telling his followers, you are the light of the world. Jesus explains the purpose of light by using an illustration from his day. In ancient times, they didn't have electricity. You couldn't just flip on a light switch. If you wanted light after sunset, you needed to light an oil lamp. Now, if you did that, you didn't put the lamp under a basket. 
that would be contrary to the purpose of lighting the lamp. Instead, you put it up on a stand so it would give light throughout the, whole, throughout the house. Based on this illustration, Jesus commanded, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. To understand this illustration of allowing our lights to shine in this dark world, we need to take a step back. For Jesus' command is not a new teaching. It's based on God's revelation to his people already in the Old Covenant. From the beginning of time, darkness and light each represent different things. Darkness is associated with the night. In the Bible, it's associated with separation from God. Light is associated with the day or with a shining of light into the darkness. In the Bible, light often symbolizes the presence of God and the blessings that he gives. When Israel journeyed to the promised land, God's presence among them at night was symbolized by a pillar of fire. After Moses appeared in the presence of God, he had to wear a veil, for his face shone at reflecting some of the glory of God. At Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, a great light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone around him. Just as God was a light to his people Israel, so he intended Israel to be a light to the nations. We read together this morning from the first verses of Isaiah 60. And there the Lord speaks to his people Israel, living in Zion, commanding them, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The Lord speaks about darkness covering the earth and thick darkness the peoples. Yet the Lord would shine forth his glory on Zion. The Lord's blessings on his people would shine as a bright light in this dark world. The result would be that the surrounding nations would come from afar to join themselves to the Lord and to his people. Now what we need to understand, beloved, is that it was the Lord who made his people beautiful, who caused them to radiate light. We know that the Israelites of old were often sinful and rebellious people who turned away from the Lord and who forsook his commands. It was not their own inherent beauty or attractiveness that drew others to them. It was the Lord their God the wonders that he performed on their behalf, the blessings that he gave them that made them attractive to the surrounding nations. Well, the same applies in the New Covenant. In and of ourselves, we are not bright, shining lights radiating into this dark world. We need to understand that clearly. We only reflect the radiance and the beauty of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Already in Isaiah 49, the Lord spoke of the coming of the Messiah. 
The Messiah's task was not just to bring back his people Israel to the Lord. The Lord commissioned him saying, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Jesus came into this world as a light. He is the one in whom the light of God's blessing shines on all. John makes that point in the opening words of his gospel. He writes, in him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of man. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We see this symbolized beautifully in Jesus' transfiguration. When he was on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, he was transfigured before three of his disciples. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. Jesus did not only come to bring light to God's covenant people Israel. In fulfillment of his commission, Jesus came to bring light also to the Gentiles, to the many tribes and nations living in the darkness of sin. Jesus made this clear in what he said in John 8 verse 12. He said, I am the light of the world. He didn't say I'm the light of Israel. He said, I'm the light of the world. Jesus is the light of God's favor shining in this dark world. Now, when Jesus made this statement in John 8, 12, he added something to it. He said, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Christ is the light. He shines that light on us. The result is, is that we will reflect that light. Perhaps an example will help make this clear. The Bible says that God dwells in unapproachable light. Christ is like the bright sun shining forth in all its glory. You cannot look at the sun without hurting your eyes. Its power, its radiance is too great. As church, we are like the moon. The moon's not of much value by itself. Its benefit to us is that it reflects the light of the sun during the darkness of the night. Well, in the same way, we are to reflect Christ's light as we shine forth in the dark world in which we live. In our text, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. To whom was Jesus speaking when he said those words? Well, originally he was talking to his disciples, to his followers. His words would have sounded strange to the Jewish religious leaders. The Jews spoke of some of their eminent rabbis as being lamps of the universe or lights of the world. It would have been jarring for them to hear Jesus call some bronze-faced, uneducated, lower-class peasants and fishermen the light of the world. Yeah, that's what they were. And that's what we are. 
not because we're so good or wise or well-spoken, but because Christ lives in us and because we reflect his glory. I want to summarize what we've learned so far. We've learned that Christ is the light of the world. In his first coming, the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. In his words and deeds, Christ made visible the Father's glory to the world. That's how he drew many disciples to himself. Christ is now seated on the throne of glory in heaven. And yet he still manifests his glory to the world. Christ does this through his church, his bride. Christ nourishes, he cherishes his bride. He gives the church a holy character and he equips his people to live blameless lives. As we reflect Christ's glory, we will draw others from the darkness of the world into the light of life. So we see what it means to be the light of the world. It brings us to our second point, and it will consider how we are to function as the light of the world. Jesus commands us, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Here Jesus explains that letting your light shine is manifest in doing good works. This is not a new teaching. The Bible often draws a link between faith and the fruits of faith. Jesus taught us that you know a tree by its fruits. He says that a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. From this we learn that an integral part of reflecting Christ is how we live our lives. Even though many people in our society are losing touch with Christianity, many still know that the Bible teaches that it's wrong to steal or to commit adultery or to get drunk or to murder or to curse. If you as a Christian do these things, you bring dishonor on the name of Christ. And you undermine the church's witness to the world. Non-Christians will often know that you're not being true to what you believe. They may even comment on it. The point I want to make, beloved, is that if we want to evangelize, to share the good news of salvation, we need to live authentic lives. Paul speaks about this in Romans 13. He writes, So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, to gratify its desires. Now, beloved, it's a struggle for us to consistently live a God-pleasing life. We face the temptations of this world and the sinful desires of the flesh. 
Yet remember, how you live sends a message about who you are as a Christian. Can either draw others to the faith or push them away from it. Most people in the Western world know that one of Jesus' greatest teachings was the call to love. Many are critical of Christians because some of the Christians they've encountered do not show forth love in their lives. If we really want to present the world with a powerful testimony of the transforming power of the gospel, the way to do it is to live lives of love. People will notice whether you are committed to your husband or wife, whether you respect him or her, whether you truly love him or her. People notice when you yell at your kids or if you deal with them gently and compassionately. People listen to how you speak about your church community and whether you love your brothers and sisters. If you want to shine your light brightly in the community around you, live a life of love. In John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In the first verse of Ephesians 4, Paul urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Our love also needs to extend to non-Christians whom God puts on our pathway in life. Even though you're busy, would you stop if you saw someone slide into the ditch due to slippery roads? If you had an opportunity to pull them out and they offered you money to thank you, would you take it? Or would you see that as an opportunity to indicate that you were a Christian? You just did it to help. Think, beloved, of the parable Jesus told about the Good Samaritan who stopped to help a robbed and beaten traveler. Do we look for opportunities to show the love of Christ to those living around us in darkness? We've seen that letting our light shine involves living a godly life, a life characterized by love. Yet that's not just manifest in your deeds. It's also shown in your character. Already in ancient times, the Greeks, who produced many great orators, learned that the medium is the message. 
being a great speaker, or having the, the ability to win a debate is not enough on its own to convince anyone of anything. People need to relate to you before they're willing to listen to you and learn from you. Let me ask you this question. If you're listening to a podcast of some speaker someone has recommended to you, how willing are you to learn from him or her? Perhaps you might be willing if a family member or friend or someone you highly respected had recommended that speaker. Yet often the first time you listen to someone, it's with a certain amount of skepticism. What are they trying to sell me? Any benefit to listening to this podcast or am I just wasting my time? When is it that you truly tune in, that you start to listen for yourself? Most often you're willing to listen if the person says stuff that you agree with. Or if they're speaking about something you don't know much about, you're willing to listen if you can at least in some way relate to that speaker. And what is it that connects you to someone you don't know? Some speakers try to connect through humor, by cracking a joke. Sometimes that works, but often it doesn't, because the joke is lame, might even be offensive. What really connects you to someone else is having a feeling that they can relate to your circumstances. You want to know that the speaker shares your hopes and longings and dreams. Most people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. It's what made the Lord Jesus' ministry so effective. Jesus understood people, where they were at in life. He knew their fears and their sorrows, and he empathized with them. Jesus saw every human being he met as a person created in the image of God. To Jesus, it didn't matter if you were Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, male or female, slave or free. Jesus was willing to associate with society's outcasts. He touched lepers to heal them. He worked on the Sabbath day to open the eyes of the blind and to make the lame walk. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. People were drawn to him. They gathered by the thousands to see him and hear him. Do you understand why? It's because Jesus cared about them. Beloved, what do you do to show people around you that you care about them? When you meet people, do you look them in the eye with a smile on your face and greet them with a cheerful hello? Do you ask, how are you doing as you walk past? Or do you take the time to stop and engage in a real conversation that shows them you care about them? 
What acts of kindness do you do to show your neighbors and workmates that you're thinking about them? If people around you are struggling with life, do you give them a sympathetic ear or a shoulder to cry on? You see, beloved, if we truly want to let our light shine before others, we need to live godly lives. We need to show forth our love and our care for them. That's what open hearts. It's what puts us in a situation to evangelize, to share the good news. Please understand, I'm not saying you can never share the, the gospel with strangers. Sometimes the Lord grants us great opportunities to do that. We get those kind of opportunities when we're traveling, sitting in an airport lounge or stuck in a seat beside someone when we're flying. But the point I want to make is that shining your light in our postmodern world, which is often resistant to the gospel, often involves breaking down barriers by building relationships with others. We do that best by being interested in their lives, by loving and caring for them. Yet loving and caring for people will not in and of itself bring non-Christians to the faith. Faith comes from hearing the gospel. And for others to hear it, we need to speak it. To do that effectively, we need to understand that we are different from non-Christians in more ways than we often realize. We are light in the Lord because we know God and because we know the good news of salvation. In our culture today, most non-Christians do not really know God. Paul says that such people have become futile in their thinking. He says that the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Ask yourself, if you didn't know God or the message of the Bible that Jesus died to pay for my sins, would you easily believe that stuff? Would you believe in a Savior who supposedly died and then rose from the dead? Some 2,000 years ago? Would I want to serve him as someone who is now Lord and King of the whole universe? Would I want to give up living life my way and having to follow God's commandments? Why would I do that? What's in it for me? To share the gospel with others, we need to be able to relate to their circumstances, to their situation in life. In the fallen and broken world in which we live, there are more and more opportunities to shine forth as bright lights in an ever darker world. So many people live fearful and anxious lives. If you're living a happy and confident life, that will draw others. So many people are worried about the future. 
about having enough money to retire. If you speak about how you trust God to provide for your needs and you live a content life, it sends forth a powerful message. So many people struggle with illness and mental health struggles and they're desperately scared of death. You speak about your hope and an eternal future with God. If you grieve the loss of loved ones without losing hope, you present others with a testimony of the hope that the gospel brings. It's by living in the joy of our faith that our lights shine brightly into the world around us. This morning we've seen how we're called to evangelize, to share the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ with others. We often find that a daunting task. We have lots of excuses for not getting involved. I'm too busy. I'm not good at speaking about my faith. I don't know how to relate well to others outside the church community. If Jesus commands us to let our light shine before others, that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. So, beloved, let's get rid of our excuses. You're only going to have time if you make time. You're never going to get good at talking about your faith if you never practice. You have much more in common with the people of this world around you than you realize. Just like you, they're human. They share many of your fears and sorrows, hopes and dreams. To shine brightly in the dark world, there's a few things we need to do. In the first place, we need to stay close to Christ. Christ is the true light of the world. We only reflect His light when we are close to Him. In the second place, to grow as light, we need to congregate with fellow believers. It is when you heap burning coals together that they burn brighter and hotter. The you of you are the light of the world is plural. It's when we meet together for worship and for Bible study that we're better equipped for our evangelism task. Finally, we need to remember that when God calls us to a task, he also equips us for it. God has given us his spirit to live in us. He has promised to strengthen us, to give us the words when we don't know what to say. Long ago, Paul recognized that he was but a weak instrument in God's hand. He was what he called a jar of clay. Well, we're like that too. Yet despite our often weak and sinful efforts, God uses our witness to bring new life to dead sinners. 
He does this to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Beloved, ultimately, we cannot win our neighbor for Christ. We just need to be faithful in letting our light shine, in reflecting the grace and love of Christ in our lives. God alone can change hearts by the powerful working of his word and spirit. We may leave the outcome to him. Amen.